0: Hello and welcome to The Mariner. Me, Chris Damon Major, and welcome to another one of the news and views episodes. I really like doing these because I can go as far off script as I want to go. I don't have to follow any particular facts. Well, I guess actually, in this one, there's a few facts. There you go, I'm already uh, <laughs> disagreeing with myself. I only just got going. Um, okay, so it's, uh, it's April, middle of April now, and um, we are starting to get into the season. It's getting nice and warm in the Northern Hemisphere. I know for you in the Southern Hemisphere, it's starting to get a little bit cooler now. But I think around this time, everybody's enjoying some good sailing. Um, of course, we do still need to um, think about COVID and what's going on there. But I think what we've all twigged very uh, quickly is that sailing is a sport where you can get away from folks. Um, You can take your household group or your friend group or your bubble or whatever it is that your authority uh, describes it as but you can take those that it's okay for you to be with um, out onto the water and have a good time and kind of forget about all this for a little while. Um, So yeah, as we get going into the season here, uh, there's lots ahead, there's lots going on. I've picked a couple of uh, 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 things I want to talk about this time. But obviously, if you have any suggestions, just send them in as always. Um, I kind of went quiet there for a little little while so obviously the emails have, have dried up but um, that was just a few things in my life I needed to get sorted out and, uh, and work on and uh, and and now I'm back so that's okay uh, well the first news it seems to me like it was a, it was a bad bad thing but it kind of came out good in the end the the open 60 the um, pride of Nova Scotia uh, broke her mooring about um, uh, five days ago I guess it was now so I had set off to the gym early in the morning um, and I, as it works out you can kind of drive around the bay where the boat is which means that every time I leave my house I, I get this opportunity to kind of look back at the boat and uh, it was exactly where it was meant to be and then I drove back an hour and a half later and it was exactly where it was meant to be and I was just finishing up my shower and And someone came knocked on the door and said the boat is uh, (laughs) is off and off down the bay. So I had already thought about this before and knew that um, this bay is basically kind of uh, it's about 40 feet deep in the center and it's got quite steeply shelving sides. But I don't think there's anywhere around the bay where a four and a half meter, what's that like 15 foot draft boat could could wash up onto the shore. So the issue was always going to be if it clipped a boathouse or it clipped a, a, a jetty or a pontoon or something like that rather than it getting washed up on the shore. So I remained calm, a little bit calmer than the person that had uh, come to my door um, because I knew, okay, here we go, this is happening. It's that old thing. You you play the what if game, you work out, okay, if this is going to happen, I need to do that. If this is going to happen, I need to do that. And uh, I got my gear together and, uh, and went down. And the great thing was that I had... Um, been lucky enough that this uh, chap, who's, whose name I never got actually, um, but whoever you are, if you ever listen to this, thank you. Um, he had already gone to Lunenburg Boatworks, which is a uh, boat repair and um, and, and, and composite uh, boatworks place, which is just down from where I live. And the owner there, Patrick, had already jumped in his boat, driven around to my dock, and uh, he was waiting on the dock. So that was great because I had Patrick there, who obviously knows his way around what's going on with the boat. He's got this lovely little Kind of boston whaler thing which could take a tow as soon as i realized patrick was there i was like okay well the plan here obviously is to go and uh, pull the boat back to roughly where it's meant to be so the initial assessment of the boat as we got there um remember it only probably been off the mooring at this point by like 20 25 minutes um was that there was no damage to the boat whatsoever i did realize as we got the boat back to where it's meant to be um that the there was a little bit of damage to the back of it which i'll go into but essentially the boat was uh, in all structural important components had not been damaged whatsoever. and it just kind of washed up on a on a slightly shallower part of the uh, the bay. The thing that was interesting for me, my little kind of what if plan, which I'd put together, included checking what the tide level was. and I did do that before um, before I even went down to the dock and I knew that we had forty five minutes to the top of the tide. so I was feeling relatively relaxed that we could go and get the boat from wherever it was and bring it back to um, some kind of safer more secure position so we went and got the boat it was about i don't know about thousand thousand meters off down the bay not very far uh blowing quite steadily but the boat at the end of the day only weighs nine thousand kilos which is the equivalent of a um, you know 45 foot boat something like a little beneteau um so it was relatively easy to pull back to position it has a lot of windage because that hundred foot high rig but um Patrick and myself and my unknown uh, uh, helper, the chap who spotted this and and came down, um, we we just put it back on a a neighbor's mooring buoy. So it's a little uncertain at the moment what's broken. The mooring buoy that she is attached to uh, is still attached to its chain. And if you watch any of the Mariner videos, I actually put that mooring in myself uh, at the end of last year. So I know that the buoy, the chain, the shackles, everything are very, very good. So all I can imagine is that the actual... Uh, place where it attaches onto the mooring sinker has broken somehow. And I, I assessed that, uh, I had to assess it by ha- uh, hand, which I'll say it's very, very, um, cold, very dark, very muddy conditions in the, uh, on the bottom here. And, uh, it was very difficult to, to get a, a solid visualization on the, uh, on the mooring block, but, um, it all felt good. It all felt, you know, just as thick as the shackles that were going onto it. Everything was secured in place as it should be. Um, and you know something's, something's gone wrong, something's uh, separated somewhere. So uh, that was a bit of a bit of a shock. It, it's not great when your, your gear suddenly floats off, obviously, but uh, for those who are in the southern hemisphere who are going into winter, for those who are just coming out of it in the northern hemisphere, you know, getting your mooring block checked, getting your mooring chain checked is absolutely essential. We talked uh, about this a little bit when we did the As for anchoring episode. You know you have thousands hundreds of thousands sometimes millions of dollars of boats hanging on a chain and then the chain is the thing which you're trying to skimp and save a couple hundred bucks on and the shackles are the things you're trying to skimp and save a couple hundred bucks on and it all of course adds up to um things going wrong that you've got this incredible asset hanging on the end of a piece of um piece of metal potentially if you've got the wrong attitude supplied by the uh, the the cheapest possible route that you could find so do check your moorings um if you can get in the water and check it uh you know if you check the upper meter then you've got like some idea of what's going on. And my observation is that the upper meter will often get the most growth, but it's down there on the seabed where things uh, really need to be checked out. And, you know, the the weight of block that you require to hold your boat is probably a little bit more than you'd realize. It's maybe one of the ones we could do sometime, talk about moorings. Um, there's, there's lots of details to be got through there, but, you know, a number which I have in my head, which is very useful, which comes from the uh, ABYC uh, data sheets, which are often used for moorings, and that is that the uh, loading on my rig, the the, the drag, the, the wind pressure on my rig at a hundred knots. Now that's a lot clearly, but a, you know, a hurricane that came through here last year uh, was blowing 70 and I'm sure there were gusts within that, of course, 40% over, which are touching a hundred. There's 30,000 pounds. What's that like? Slightly under 15 ton of load on the rigging on the boat. Uh, so although she only weighs nine tons, um, there's 15 tons of load on the rigging. Um, it is essential that the weight there is um, what it needs to be if you're using anchors uh, mushroom anchors they need to be well dug in you know you need to kind of check these details out just so you can always relax I'm very very happy about the positioning of where this boat is it's so close to the land that when those big northerlies come in most of the breeze just goes right over the top of the boat because there's a slight incline um just up from the dock and that that protects the boat the incline is probably 100 foot and the rig's not much more than that of course so um it uh, i'm very happy with the position but clearly something has failed uh in the situation there and i will need to dive and uh and, and sort that out i gotta say i'm not particularly looking forward to diving on it as it's the water is 10 celsius at the moment which i'm not sure what that is in fahrenheit but it's um it's it's that kind of cold where you <laughs> you walk walking up to your knees and then no i'm not i'm not going any further so it's going to be the big farmer john thick wetsuit on uh the cowl everything on and then go and check out what's going on but uh yeah a bit of a bit of a shock and then the damage on the back of this open 60 it has um if you were to look at the back of the boat, normally a boat kind of goes down from whatever it's transom hull type arrangement. It goes straight from that transom to the hull. This one has like a little scoop that sticks out. It's about four inches wide. What's that like uh, 15, 16 centimetres, something like that wide. And it's uh, it sticks out the back. You know what? I don't really know what the function of that is per se. I think you could have done it without. You could have made the boat a bit longer. I guess it's the point. It's got maximum length, but it's a little bit shorter on in the body, which means that you maybe have a little bit less weight or something. But it's um it's very subject to damage. We did actually damage it a little bit at the end of last year when the boat got too close to the dock and um and put a little chunk out of it. Uh, if that had crashed into a dock, that would have been a big issue because that is a Uh, that is hull and that's a big issue. So the bit that got damaged was there's a kind of tray that sticks off the back of the boat. It's got three posts that hold it up. Uh, The guard wires at the back pass through those posts and then all the antennas are sat on that tray at the back of the boat. It seems to have taken the impact of my neighbor's dock. There's no damage to the dock, which is good Um, and act as a bit of a crumple zone for the boat. It's pretty trashed but the good thing there is that actually because the boat's been evolving over time uh, things have changed only one of the antennas that's on that tray at the back is actually part of what i'm doing uh, and i'm going to take it off anyway so it's it you know it's a case of i need to grind it I need to paint it I need to sort it out but it's gone anyway the, the reason i'm going to take it off is that i'm going to be doing a lot of upwind work when i do this uh, round the world thing at the end of the year and it has been my experience with these boats that if you get into Uh, a bad situation when you're reefing the mainsail is so huge that that reefing pennant when it starts to come down as a solo sailor you deal with the halyard first and you shorten the front of the sail and then when that's completely secure you go to the back and you start to deal with the reefing line not something you do particularly on a crude boat of course you'd bring it all in together as close as you can but when you're on your own the, the reefing pennant ends up you know probably i know between reef between full main and first reef between yeah you know on on all the reefs even i think of it there's probably 60 foot of line flailing around in the breeze um, as you change from one reef to the next before you can get to position and deal with that it's been my experience with this boat's sister vessel that that line can end up uh, being on the back deck if you end up in a non-perfect situation Uh, The boat doesn't stay on, you know, you never reef going upwind, like we all know that, right? You've got to keep an angle to the wind and you try and keep the boom off the side of the boat as much as you can. But if something happens, the autopilot goes a little bit off course. I can remember two distinct times sailing around the world previously on my own and getting the reef lines wrapped around the end of the boom or wrapped around what on the other boat was the emergency uh like tower on the back which had another wind instrument on it so if you destroyed everything at the top of the mast you still had this one on deck and a couple times i got things wrapped around it i have always felt with this boat that that tray could be another place where that would happen that the reef line if the boom suddenly got swinging and moving around that you could suddenly end up in a situation where the reef line loops itself over that tray and then just rips all of the uh the gear, all of the antennas off the back of the boat. So they've already been moved to different positions. Um, it seems like the boat took it upon itself to <laughs> complete the operation and virtually remove the tray. So. That'll be a new look when we finally get to it. So yeah, not too not too bad. Hopefully got uh, the situation to sort it. We've got um, the local uh, contractor who does all this stuff with docks and moorings is going to be bringing uh, a new mooring. What I've decided, because we're getting the new boat Longabarda, we need another big mooring anyway. So I consulted with a guy called John Harries. If you don't know already, John Harries runs a, a website with his wife, Phyllis, called Attainable Adventure Cruising. Um, it's a fantastic website. It's a very reasonable membership fee each month. And there are, I think, literally thousands of posts on that website about all aspects of seamanship and offshore sailing. John and Phyllis have done hundreds of thousands of miles in their vessel, Morgan's Cloud, a lot of it high latitude stuff, very experienced, um, a lot of um, very informed uh, opinions and judgments, and then a very interesting community of people around it, who then uh, comment and, and even, you know, expand it out further in the comment section. So John lives literally just down the road from me here. So when it came to selecting a new mooring situation for myself here, I knew, oh, the, the best thing to do here is just to go on attainable adventure cruising. And whatever John says is gonna be absolutely uh, suitable for you know the contractors I've got around here, the materials we've got around here, the, the bay, we both put our boats in the same bay, like everything's gonna be exactly the same. So if John and Phyllis have already sat down and worked out this problem, what do i need to be filling my head with it for so i went on it and then uh, as i would have expected um it, they've gone for this massive like <laughs> massive overkill or it seemed to me initially uh, mooring uh, solution um but as i looked at it more and more it's a very very intelligent bulletproof uh, solution uh, which i'm sure would be good for, for for any boat in any situation you'd have to scale it up obviously for bigger boats so what they had Uh, Their boat, Morgan's Cloud, weighs, uh, now I talked to John about this, about 20,000 kilos. So it's 20 ton. Is that right? Something like that. Okay. So what they got is they got two 4,000 pound granite blocks or granite rocks rather. And they had been drilled through with massive 38 mil, uh, what's that like, inch and a half uh, bars through them with eye bolts on the end. And then they'd used inch and a half ship's chain to uh connect the two boulders together 20 foot of that and then put i think another 20 foot of um the the bottom chain that the ground chain which again was inch and a half and then a riser chain going up from that to their mooring buoy and they'd been intelligent enough to align it because of the bay where we live john and phyllis knew exactly where the most dangerous wind would be coming from and where they live the little kind of end of the bay where they live the the fetch the fetch the (laughs) fetch the fit the fetch Oh my goodness it's gonna be one of those days the fetch from only one direction causes a problem for them in most situations it's going to be the waves which are going to start to create a problem for the boat rather than the wind and uh, they had lined up these boulders uh, on the bottom used the the local contractor to drop them off of the barge uh, in line with that direction of pull so they had maximum security in that uh, that uh, direction so Uh, I talked to John and he suggested that for Longabada, weighing 40,000 kilos, um, you know, uh, we would need like basically double that. So it's like, yeah, okay, that's great. But obviously, as you can imagine, buying, um, (laughs) what would that be? Like, oh my goodness, there's 16,000 pounds of granite rocks and chain, all the rest of it is pretty expensive. So we're just getting going back, coming back from uh, 2020 at the moment. And there is not enough money in the budget to be going and buying probably what would equate to about $10,000 worth of, of mooring. So what I've elected to do is I'm going to put two, 3,000 uh, pound rocks in with the same chain arrangement and everything else. Uh, and we're going to put that offshore a little bit further away from where this mooring was, and we're going to leave enough swinging room. So this is going to be in the end, the mooring for the big boat. And for now I'm going to put the smaller boat on it. I'm going to put the Pride of Nova Scotia onto it and, uh, it'll be completely fine she only weighs nine tons and then we're going to come back in the autumn when the other boats on it and we're getting into a heavier time of the year and we will then put another set of two three thousand pound rocks at right angles to the first two so the first two will be laid kind of east west and the second two will be laid north uh, north south and then we'll connect those together and bring the riser chain up from there so it'll be like a, a double riser chain arrangement or something like that so that there's essentially two mooring systems Uh, down there for complete um, security and and the feeling that nothing's going to move it and then we can be very happy that if that other boat needs to sit out there I'm not going to have that boat sitting out all winter that was a choice this year based primarily around budget I've got to say like we, we just didn't have the money to yeah, every time we lift an open 60 it's a thousand bucks and then if you're going to store a 60 foot boat with a 40 foot container in a boat yard that's you know they don't do that for free i've been very lucky that the guys at east river shipyard brad and the guys there have done a fantastic job and helped me out with that but 2020 was very difficult and it was a case of just you know being like being in a storm it was a case of just you know battened everything down and then as things start to get a little bit better we can start to come back out and hence uh, the open 60 sitting in the in the water all all winter but um yeah that'll be the arrangement for now so we'll put down the first uh couple of three thousand pound boulders and the big chain and put the mooring onto that that boat can sit there quite merrily until um we can go and get longer and then we can bring her back and put her onto that mooring and move the other boat to its original mooring having worked out you know what the issue is or what the what the, the problems were with it so um, I, I think uh, talking about moorings might be something we could go into another we did one about anchoring uh, M is quite a long way away in the alphabet we're only on B I just released B is for boat so we'll, we'll include moorings on M is for mooring uh, when we get to that point in the alphabet so I better I better hot foot it through the rest of the alphabet and get to M as, as quick as I can. Um, Longer barter, I guess, is the other thing we can talk about. So I've been extremely lucky to uh, get into a, a, a situation in the last six months with the owner of the Maxi Longobarda. He's a previous customer of a Spartan and a very nice chap, an MD from the US. Um, a fantastic boat there. We haven't spoken too much about Longobarda yet, apart from the fact that I said I was going to get her. The deal until now has been one where we'd be like chartering the boat off and, and buying the boat off as we chartered the boat off. But it's been a uh, I've been given a fantastic offer by the uh, by the owner that if I am able to come up with the purchase cost uh, all in one go, he's willing to knock well what ends up being 20% off the price. So um, there's a number of you have written to me and said what do, what is Spartan be doing in the next. Uh, uh, this year and and the coming year. That's something I'm going to talk about next. But one of the things I was going to uh, put out there is that we're going to be taking orders for these uh, for these events um, very soon. Um, we've had a bit of problem with the website. We had one set of people doing the design for the website, and then it all kind of got a bit weird. And um, I don't know. I, I got to say, uh, the website previously was was written by me and by my partner, and it functioned for like four or five years, no problem at all. And hundreds of people booked through it and it was great. And it was just done through Wix, uh, this online system where you can make your own website. And then we took the advice that it'd be a great idea to update it to a WordPress site and then it would have a more kind of professional look and there are a few other benefits around the place and it has been nothing but a disaster ever since. The design of the website as it is now is not something I particularly like. Um, I've been working with professionals to, to try and change it but uh, you know I have a lot of respect for the people that are in that industry and I see the problem from their side people who are not creative and don't have the skills are the ones asking, can you do this? Can you do that? And then trying to shift things and move things. And if they're not careful about what they're doing, they'd end up in a situation where they were just forever doing alterations uh, to the website. So of course they have to cut you off and say, we're going to do this, this, and this, and then that's it. And then if you want something else doing, you're going to have to pay for it. And that's completely fine. But as it's a skilled task, it doesn't come cheap and it ranges between like 80 and 100 euros to get someone good doing the, the website. You can get it done further afield and I work with Upwork at the moment and doing things with that. But it is very, very easy to get in a situation where you're like, well, that's not quite what I said. Well, if you want anything else doing, we're going to have to, you have to pay more. Okay, do something else. Well, that's not quite what I said either. Yeah. Well, you're gonna have to pay more. It's like, I seem to remember we used to like sit in front of the TV, uh, doing this work and chatting to each other and it, it wasn't that big a deal. I'm sure that it looked a little bit less professional on the backside. I don't know if you ever remember the website, but it was kind of a lot of black and white and red and gray and uh, <laughs> it was a bit, uh, bit too much uh, masculine and kind of brutish. We were, we were at the beginning trying to get sponsorship from uh, Dodge and of course that was their their palette, the oranges, the blues, the reds, the, the gray and the black. But we used to do that work very, very easily. So the website as it is now is going to get a bit of modification. The other thing that's been making me really slow down and like, not release what we're going to do next my plan for 2021 was to sail across the atlantic and then go on this lovely loop which i personally was really looking forward to going up to norway then to the faroe islands then to iceland greenland newfoundland and then home back to canada and i was i thought that's this is going to be great like this is a completely different route for me literally every country on that route was going to be something new for me and uh, what a fantastic way to breakout of twenty twenty. As it's gone, you know, restrictions are starting to ease up in some places. Other places they're starting to lock down further. If you look in like Ontario and in Montreal here in Canada, they're they're going into more lockdowns. In the UK, the government is looking to open things up and and non-essential shops are now able to open up and I feel for those business owners, thank God for for that and they can actually get going again. But the situation with the vaccine, the situation with uh, traveling Are we gonna have vaccine passports like it's all a complete unknown so i I keep looking at the situation as a business owner and as a skipper and thinking okay so we leave from here and we go to this other place great okay that seems fine and they at the moment are saying yes we'll be able to enter that country brilliant uh what if they change that what if we get the boat booked up and then they say oh no we've got an outbreak we've got to shut things down what happens if it gets shut down whilst we're there what happens if we are at sea and then we can't enter another country that we're supposedly meant to be going to and then we can't go into the next one and then because, you know, we could end up in these kind of disastrous situations where we're like the flying Dutchman, we like a, a, a gnome without a home. We can't go into port anywhere. So I've got to say at the moment, my, I'm kind of like backing off and backing off and getting more and more. Uh, my thought processes at the moment that the only thing that I can be rely on is that I know that Nova Scotia, because we are geographically separated from like everybody else and everywhere else, we have incredibly low rates. And I understand the situation that's going on here. And I'm starting to think that the only sailing we're going to do this year is going to be based from Nova Scotia, going out from Nova Scotia and coming back to here, maybe Newfoundland, because they've got their own thing going on there. They're also very isolated. But again, the other thing goes is it's not just a case of what can I get away with? It's a case of I don't want to be in any way responsible for transmitting this thing any further, or crew, or boat, or I don't also want to be viewed as someone who's trying to dodge, you know, around the end of it. I know there are all sorts of views on on COVID. Um, I'm 43. The chance of me getting something serious is, you know, it's less than one percent. But most of the people that come on these trips for Spartan are over 50 um and and most of the people that come down to see the boat when it comes in are probably 45 and more um th- this is not really a thing where there's lots of kids hanging around it's all super young it's people who actually in a you know uh, will have a problem if they get COVID or may have a problem if they get COVID. so i am at the moment trying to just balance up where to kind of stand on this i think for me personally uh, i am of the opinion that i am going to try and limit as much of what I do, so that I'm in no way uh, gonna, br- of course, break the rules, but more essentially be seen to be trying to do an end run around the rules. Um, and I think that means that we're gonna be staying here. So that's kind of what we're aiming towards now, and that's what the website will be uh, adjusted towards as soon as we can get it um, worked out. Um, the thing with Longabada that's interesting is that there's a number of people have contacted me and said, Can I just put some money down? And then when things come available, then you know, we can spend the money. And it's, it, absolutely, there's, there's uh, no, no problem with that at all. Um, but I, I tell you what the better thing is, is that if we do a bit like a kind of Kickstarter, if people are saying, Yeah, I'm willing to put down, you know, to cross the Atlantic with Spartan is like five grand. So if you put five or 10 grand down, we do like a Kickstarter thing and say, um, once we've got all the money together, then we'll ask people to actually send the cash in. And we go and buy longer And if you haven't seen Longobarda. it's uh it's uh, i'll put a link in the description on this podcast but if you go to the the brokers who are um selling her at the moment it's a company called DeVolk, uh, d-e-v-a-l-k uh her name is longo she's at 80 83 82 foot maxi the deal's pretty much uh, done so you're not gonna be able to jump in the queue ahead of me but i really am thinking it would be great to take advantage of this uh offer from the uh from the owner, which is a case of like, if you take it off my hands now, um, you can have it for, for 20% less, which uh, seems like a good deal. If people wanna go sailing and they wanna put money down so that they're at the head of the queue, that's fine. So let's all just work together. and. Um, uh I'll I'll put a a proposal together and if you're interested write that in and I've we've done this many many times before we we're even thinking of setting up a Spartan yacht club where people just put down 10 grand at the beginning of the year or something and then they can jump on the trips at last minute we often have availability at last minute where people cancel or they can't come or the boat just doesn't fill up um but oftentimes it's uh you know people uh, unable to just suddenly jump on a deal like that if you've already kind of buy it bought it into the club then that's easier so I'll uh, kind of have a think about that have a see what um everybody else's uh, thoughts are on it I'm thinking that that might be a nice way to do this that we just we collect in the money and then you all kind of become uh owners uh, of a sorts in in the boat and um, I, I'm happy of course to for those who are willing to engage in that is to give you a lot more sailing than you otherwise would have got um by just putting the money down so maybe there's something in that maybe someone with a more uh business suited mind can kind of see how that goes but uh never look a gift horse in the mouth and um i'm, I'm excited to get hold if you don't know much about longabarda she was uh one of the kick-ass big um uh maxis of the early 90s uh 80 80 foot i think later on she had a few adjustments which actually changed the displacement and she kind of grew by two or three feet on the waterline. Um, very well known at the time for this kind of rounded uh, bow section, which, uh, which which was very recognizable at the start of races, where everything else was just kind of all looked the same in the 90s. Her design has aged very, very well. I, I do notice that with a lot of 90s boats, that some of them, you look at them and go, oh, wow, that's, uh, I'm glad we did not go in that direction. Um, and then others, and I would say actually within this, Challenger is one like that as well. She ended up being the direction that, boats went and so she looks really fresh and new even though she's an older boat she's still got that kind of shark attack kind of bow rather than the 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 more modern plumb bows but other than that a very modern looking boat longer bar is the same she's still got that tapered IOR stern um but i don't mind that i think it's kind of graceful elegant is she gonna be the fastest thing on the race coast no, no, absolutely not. Of course she's not. Um, but what's the difference here is that between Mike Slade, who is a, a, a name you maybe know from sailing, he was the guy who owned um, uh, Leopard, uh the the huge uh, maxi which set all sorts of records and what have you um he did an incredible refit on the interior which was then completed by the the chap that i'm interacting with and um she's got cabins below she's got a lovely galley she's got a beautiful nav station area she's got a hydraulic power pack on board so what we're looking to supply with that boat i was given some fantastic feedback on you know the, the stuff that spartan does by somebody in the um kind of adventure uh, travel agency industry. And he said, that the problem with what you've got going on is that it's too hardcore. It's, it's too tough, you know, getting up every three hours and doing this stuff. It's it's kind of nice, but even if you do it once cross the Atlantic, at the end of it, you're like, whew, wow, you know, I've challenged myself. I've stepped out of my comfort zone. You, you've got everything from it that we are seeking to provide. But at the end of that, like, you're going to go back. <laughs> like, on so. you know, if you do the assault course and get a PEB on it, you don't then go back and do it again. Unless you're some kind of, uh, uh, well, unless you're like beating yourself up, basically. So the, the thing for me is to try and shift slightly with some part of what we're doing towards making it a little bit softer, where our crew can look after the boat, maybe like through the nights. So those who want to come and sail can come and sail. Those that don't, if you're going to go with your wife or you're going to go with a husband and they're not too into the sailing at night and all the hardcore stuff that's fine you just you know do their own thing and there's a nice galley and we're still gonna be very self-reliant we're not it's not gonna be like some super swanky uh <laughs> super swanky charter with people laying on everything for you you're gonna to have to cook your own food and do your own thing that's the point that's that's what makes it fun we do it ourselves i think we're those kind of people that um longabada offers the opportunity to have a slightly more kind of um put together experience less of the like the hardcore racing but get out there and join and that was the idea to partner that kind of experience with going to the Norwegian fjords and going to the Faroe Islands and going to Iceland you can kind of see what we're doing so um if you if you got any interest for that um give me some uh, give me some feedback it's uh these kind of um uh, syndicates of people coming together can be uh, a very good thing as long as everybody understands what's going on. The thing that's going on is that uh, you're going to get more sailing than you would have otherwise got. Like we could, you know, we could put a figure on it that if you're going to put five grand in and get one transatlantic, you're going to get a transatlantic plus another week doing something else. If you're going to put ten grand in and look to take yourself and your partner doing a couple trips, then you're going to get two extra trips. So we could work out the absolute figures, but um, it might be something that people are interested in. I don't know how much sailing there's going to be for the rest of the year uh, worldwide. It's it's kind of the other subject uh, that's on my list here is um, COVID and sailing. Like, I think sailing as a whole has taken a massive boost in the last Uh, year because it's one of the things that you could get out and go and do and even if you had to kind of sneak out and go and do it you're very unlikely to be seen once you're out there and you're very unlikely to be creating any any problems for anybody i'm sure there's lots of ways of breaking the rules there but um for for those who have got half a brain about them and are trying to stay within the rules sailing is a very good option i don't know if yacht clubs per se have got a big boost because i think there's a, a few congenital issues with yacht clubs which are yet to be worked out but for people getting out on the water i think this is a, a very uh, strong period uh, i think that, i know that a lot of new boats are being sold a lot of secondhand boats are being sold um, i'm actually just now starting to get involved in a project to perhaps bring a 40 foot boat to the marketplace as a kind of turnkey um option for people that want to go sailing without having to spend huge amounts of money they want to cruise offshore without getting caught up in the Beneteau, Juno marina boat type type trap. So um, I, I'm very aware that this is a, a good time for sailing, but exactly how it's going to work if you want to travel between countries, uh, I don't really know. And ha- how this affects me at the moment is that if I look across the room here at my year planner, it says that I should already be back from Portugal, which is where Longabada is. I should already be back now with her because uh that was the plan to go at the first of march was to go there but portugal so hard hit by covid has uh, every two weeks they've been updating and updating but they're in a state of national emergency and they've got their borders closed to all non-essential non-eu travelers which i am one after the uk left uh Brexit, you know the Brexit thing and they left the EU I'm, I'm no longer part of the EU so um, we can't go there we can't go into Portugal to to pick up the boat the if you're a commercial seafarer which I am and you're joining a commercial boat it's it's okay it's essential work but where the boat is at the moment registered as a, as a pleasure vessel we, we can't do it so we have to wait for Portugal so I am waiting on the rule those rules but what it's leading me to realize is that as we now approach May, the answers to all this are not yet uh, fully in place. So I hope that uh, very, very soon we can go and do that. I'm looking forward to it because I think it's going to be the restart of the Mariner videos. You know, the, the, the best string of Mariner videos that we had was when I went and got um, the uh, Pride of Nova Scotia from, um, I, I always stumble on that and I'll tell you why. The, the, the name, the Pride of Nova Scotia for this uh, Open 60 is one which is there because she's going to go and do this Around the world uh, effort but it's extraordinarily different, difficult to get that name into conversation so we just tend to use her previous name which is Falcon so if, if you hear me kind of like tripping up on what to call her I keep trying to use her um, new branded name but um, <laughs> to me she's just fal- Falcon so uh, but when I went to go and get that boat um, that was that was great there was lots to be said there was lots to be done Uh, I'm never quite sure what to make the YouTube videos about if we're not actually on the water doing things Um, I guess that's a weakness as a as a creator on YouTube it's great to do updates I've kind of played around a bit with doing things with the westerly but yeah my heart's never really in it I I know that we get like loads more views when we um, do stuff about the westerly it's a very easy path for me to go down but I just end up feeling like it's a bit disingenuous because I'm not that guy I I don't go and do that kind of sailing. Um, the sailing I do is I get on a boat with a load of other people. I teach or lead them towards being able to handle the boat. And then we cross to another country. Like that's that's what I do. So then when I'm like, hey, we've got this 30 foot boat for my own personal use, that kind of made sense. But um, I'm not sure. It is something I would like to do, but I've, I've yet to find that the project that kind of really inspires me and gets me going. So I'm looking forward to the point where we can say, hey, you know, we're going to go over to Portugal, we're going to pick up this boat, we're going to find out all about it. And we're going to sail it back to Nova Scotia, that will be something worth talking about. Um, Until then, I'm a bit, uh, you just got me talking about like whatever comes through my head. But uh, what else we got here? Okay, so the other thing I want to talk about, which uh, we've got kind of like a little bit of bad news in our uh, industry. uh, This this week, I guess it's happened is the Olympic offshore event. Now, if you haven't been aware of this, for about three years, this has been kind of looming on the horizon that there was an idea to have um an offshore sailing event at the olympics after a number of years of kind of working out what they got down to was basically it was going to be a male female um crew a double-handed crew um it's going to be a boat of no bigger than 11 meters and it was going to be um uh, quite a quite a simple boat in terms of what is available no canting keel no fours at uh, no fours no foils um it was going to be a boat that was something you could race at the club and then you could watch people racing the kind of boats that you race at the club or you race with your friends or whatever and and see how they do it there's a number of good aspects with it there was going to be um a lot of cameras on board the boats a lot of kind of filming what was happening there um the virtual regatta people who did such a good job of laying on the um the uh, virtual Vendée Globe, which we were all following, um, it was it was going to be a, a very interesting one. It seems that it might not be quite the dead set that that we we thought it was going to be. Um, the looking at it now in the last couple of days, the information I've got, it seems that the Olympic offshore um, event is is something that the Olympic Committee are a little bit hesitant about, and they put out this. Um, this statement in the last couple of days. I'm going to try and find it. Oh, 16th of April. There you go. That's not too bad. I'm, I'm almost on top of the, the news here. Um, I'll read it down here a little bit until it kind of gets uh, you know a bit too detailed. It says, uh, in December 2020, World Sailing were informed by the IOC that a further review into the mixed offshore event would be undertaken to properly assess key considerations. World Sailing, the IOC and Paris 2024 organizing committee have worked in close collaboration to ensure all queries were answered in detail. That sounds pretty good so far. World Sailing have now been informed by the IOC that the proposal has continued to be reviewed, consistent with the approach taken for other sports and challenges for the mixed offshore event exist in the areas of field of play security, scope and complexity, broadcast cost and complexity, and World Sailing not having the opportunity to deliver an Offshore World Championship. Uh, It says the IOC will continue their assessment of the mixed offshore event to address these points. However, they have requested that World Sailing propose alternative events for uh, for sailing's 10th medal at the Paris 2024 Olympics. Um, Oh, I can read this bit as well. David Graham of uh, World Sailing, the CEO of World Sailing, says this is not an official decision from the IOC, but rather a direction of travel and assistance to help World Sailing secure our 10th medal at Paris 2024, should the offshore event not be endorsed by the IOC Executive Board in early June. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. He says this is very disappointing news, and we are aware this will upset This upset will be widespread across our community if the decision doesn't go our way. The mixed offshore event was democratically selected by our members and remains our first joint event for Paris 2024. So where does that leave us? Um, I I, uh, know somebody here in Nova Scotia who's pretty closely connected to this, and um, there's a lot of people been working behind the scenes to get this going. I do feel that this is a a, a sports event which should somehow find a home at the Olympics as we... (laughs) as i literally talked about and uh, was it the last podcast uh yeah we, you know sailing has been around for a hell of a long time um a hell of a long time and to be not represented at the olympics in the offshore event 70 percent of the planet is covered in water this is this is where this event happens we do have of course the 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 dinghies uh, I, I don't know if i'm using the correct term there i call them dinghies the little ones so we've got the women's laser radial we've got men's fin the women's 49er fx the men's 49er the men's 470 and the women's rsx which is the windsurfer so we already have those events which is great but if you are north of about 30 it's likely you're not involved in any of those you know there are some people who are kick-ass windsurfers late into life my friend eric uh, guion uh, pushing how old are you now eric i know must be north of 60 i think not that he seems to realize that but He's uh, and another friend, Christopher Hope, he's in his 80s and he's windsurfing. But I, I, neither of them would say that they're going to be at the very leading edge of, of what's going on. So how do you get at the leading edge of anything in the Olympics if you are, you know, like a normal person? Well, kind of tough, tough titties is, is not going to happen. Um, the mixed event suddenly created this opportunity where all sorts of different people from all sorts of different backgrounds could get involved the boats that they're talking about are not going to be massively complex boats Um, i've got the the thing here in front of me which was the 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 kind of um it says one design monohull sloop rigged to use asymmetric spinnakers awesome hole length seven to eleven meters fixed keel while racing no foils spars either carbon or aluminium rudder, single or double rudder allowed, OSR category two compliance, sail inventory would be mainsail with three reefs, jib with hanks and zipper reef, uh, heavy weather jib with hanks, storm jib with hanks and a sail furling and a code sail furling. Well, that's like J105 would fit right in that, right? So it meant that suddenly we had uh, an option for a boat, which is a club level boat. You could have uh, you know, a tight gr- knit group of like six people around a boat practicing 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 and they may end up being as good as as anybody in their nation and therefore able to go and go and do it and you know you could have a couple of beers on the way in and you have to but you're not going to have to be like at the very cutting edge of what it's humanly possible to do which if you're going to go and race a 49er you better be on your on your game otherwise you just can't compete right so i felt that this was an actually an opportunity for people to get involved in a high level sailing event from very rudimentary grassroots background. And, you know, I say again, for those, you know, I, I do all this offshore sailing, these big boats and all the rest of it, but the sailing I do, it's way closer to NASCAR than it is to formula one. Like we are sticking things back together with duct tape and trying to make it work and keep on going. That to me is the spirit in a lot of way of what's sailing about. And that's what this was going to be about. Now the event that they were talking about was going to be three days and two nights. So it's a real opportunity to get out there you know you may break things you may have issues you may have to stop you might end up fishing with the spinnaker and i think there was a great opportunity there some of the courses they were laying on it was all based around marseille of course so it's me the, the the french uh are splitting their their areas that they are going to do the olympics on it's paris 2024 but this event was gonna be down in marseille it's a beautiful part of the world but i do understand also some of the issues that the um the olympic committee are talking about Let's go through what they said as an issue field of play security. I can remember doing a race into China. Uh, We were going from Singapore to Qingdao in China. So you kind of go up past uh, Taiwan and take a a left there and you kind of head into the what's the yellow sea and going through a a fleet of fishing boats there. We were the Chinese boat. So we had people on board that spoke Chinese and we were not in any way getting outside assistance, but it would be, (coughs) I mean, it'd be ridiculous to not use your chinese speaker to speak to the hundreds and hundreds of fishing uh, fishermen that were there uh, and ask them like are you fishing or not so we did that and we did that we we got one of our guys on the on the horn he asked them, are you fishing or not and then that told me how close can i get to these vessels so into the and i wanna how how many vessels are there here let me let me put it this way uh there was the maximum number of AIS contacts that my system could hold, which I think was 300. It was just this massive, like, <laughs> you come around the corner and suddenly, da there's like a thousand lights from, from you know, our sort of breakfast time. And you're having to then drive through it. How do you do that on a 70 foot yacht? Now, if you know they're not fishing, it suddenly gets really simple because you just drive, you know, close to them. We're waving at people and it's completely fine. It was at nighttime as well. So, um they then said to us um oh you're the chinese boat yeah yeah what position are you in we said oh, we're in third and they said oh well, that's interesting uh, are there other boats we said yeah yeah there's other boats um they said well would you like us to stop the other boats "No, <laughs> no 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 don't don't try and stop the other boats that's not the idea oh okay well we can make it difficult for them no please don't do that so right there is my kind of how i've got the experience that it you know this is going to be an offshore event at night uh it's going to be nation against nation people have cheated the olympics before um this would be the kind of one where y- you could very easily cheat by i don't know you tow something in front of the boat you don't like you leave a load of rope in the water in front of the boat we don't like you you know there's a zillion different things you could do and it's gonna be three days and two nights like i i am a i'm a very small cog in in anything that happens in sailing i assure you but it seems to me if you're going to do an offshore event as soon as it gets past one hour, you're already doing an event which is very different to other sailing events. By the time it gets to six or seven hours, you're past what it takes to do a marathon. So you're already into being like the longest uh, Olympic event there's, there's like ever been. Um, why not just make it that it starts you know, midday and runs overnight and comes back in the next midday? Like wh- why does it have to be three days and two nights? Why is why it it's so complicated? Now, the other thing that they were talking about is that they were going to have loads of cameras on board and i i read the not read i i watched the video on youtube which was it was on the world sailing channel which is which is an excellent channel i often watch and um it was it was i think like the promo video for it they were like oh yeah and you know it's going to be um telling us all about the sailors and creating stories and it's going to be an opportunity to see inside the lives of these people as they drive the boats like having done a lot of videoing offshore i can tell you for an absolute fact that if they've only got three days and two nights to to beat out the best result they can possibly get they're not going to be like opening up on who they are and moving the camera around and doing everything else you're going to probably have a camera on the foredeck you're going to have a camera in the cockpit you're going to have a camera in the cabin and then you're going to have editors trying to you know edit that you're going to have how many nations involved they're saying there's nations you know the great thing with sailing is it's all over the world so that's that's awesome but then how many nations are going to get involved well basically every nation that gets involved in the Olympics is gonna potentially be able to compete in this thing so you think of all those um, those little dinghies going up to the start like in the the, you know, the 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 women's radial or something like that you've got like 40 boats on a start line now you've got 40 11 meter boats going into a start line and uh, then editors having to like edit what's going on on board the boat and cut the cameras backwards and forwards and like is a massively complicated task. Like, I, I don't, you'd need to limit the fleet to begin with and run it in heats, which if it's a three day, two night event, you can't do that. So, you'd be better to have uh, a couple of events going in maybe different directions, different things. But, how could you do that? Like, you can't have a marathon where one set of marathon runners go this way down by the beach and this set go up by the mountains and this load run on a rainy day and this guy runs on a hot day because it's not going to be comparable comparable uh, competition when it comes to the semifinals and the finals everyone had a different route to get there but I don't know I think they need to kind of like have a think about this a little bit and the other thing that seems to be the issue is that there's this hasn't really been run anywhere else at all the next event the next problem they say they have uh, let me just find my place on the on the web page here um, they have uh, field of play security is, is an issue scope of complexity I think we just covered that a little bit there broadcast uh, cost and complexity. That's what we're talking about with the editors. Um, and the fact that World Sailing is not having the opportunity to deliver an Offshore World Championship. Like, I don't know, have I, have I missed the bus here? Is there an Offshore World Championship that I don't know about? Because uh, if there is, I'd go. There's the Rourke stuff. There's US Sailing doing some things, but there's not a World Offshore Championship for sailing. Like, that'd be awesome. That'd be the best of the best, right? That How, how cool would that event be? But that's not what's happening. So. I don't know, I, the, the the contact that I have here in Nova Scotia, I wrote to him and said like, what's the options here? And he, he laid it out and I said, well, couldn't we create an event in our um in our, in our local club here uh, as we get going again in 2021? <clears throat> could we have a, 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 an, an offshore event, like an offshore double-handed event, which, which conforms to the rules that you're trying to put forward to the Olympic event? You know, I guess that's the way it's got to go. You've got to prove to the Olympics that you can do this. You know, if you're going to go to the Olympics and like, do javelin you can be training you can do all this stuff but essentially when you rock up at the olympics you've got your javelin you got your shoes you've got your number pinned on your jersey and off you go it's gonna be a little bit different if the piece of equipment that you need to do the event itself is worth quarter of a million dollars if you go and do the bobsleigh like that's a that's an olympic event that requires a piece of equipment but it turns up in the back of a truck and i don't think it's quarter of a million dollars worth although i'm sure someone's going to tell me i'm wrong but it cannot be as complicated as a as a yacht and the sales and then they were saying that they're gonna, um, all the boats supplied to be the same. Well, I remember it was Frank Pong who ordered the um, Beneteau 40.7s for the China Cup fleet. Um, and that was the largest order that Beneteau had ever received. I worked for a, uh, an agent in Hong Kong just after that period. And it was our job to look after him. And it was impossible trying to look after all these boats and make them all the same. And the sailors rightfully always had something to say about the fact that one boat was different from another. The Volvo race has shown that you can take at least seven boats, very complex boats and have a centralized boatyard and get them all up to speed. But how, how exactly are you going to do this if you've got all these nations competing against each other and if they blow out the sails and a rig comes down, like there is a lot of complexity about this. So I don't, I don't know how that goes exactly. I think, you know, you could could you not get people like bring their own boats, but then have a handicap system and it would just become everyone would realize like, Oh, wow, you should use this boat, not that boat that would lower the costs a lot. You could have a maybe you could have an onboard reporter like they do in the in the Volvo uh, thing that there's somebody on there that the only thing they can do is uh, make the food, you know, that'd be awesome. That'd be great for the sailors. And they take the cameras uh, and, and use those and send out their footage. But I know. Then you have to make sure that all the on board reporters weighed the same. It's a very complicated event. It's it's annoying because it feels like we're right on that edge. Where if it just could find a way to make it happen, um, then it could happen. But um, as it is right now, it's it's a, a little bit out of out of sight. I think what needs to happen is we need to kind of instigate this uh, at regattas and say, look, there's going to be a vessels up to don't make it too complex anything up to 11 meters and it has to be a man and a woman driving it do whatever you want take whatever you want there'd be a basic uh, handicap system fine use uh, you know use irc or use something like the now what's that called is that the iocx i forget the there's an online uh, handicapping system i'm sure it's is it IO no it's not ior uh orc orcx that's what it is um, you can do it online. It's like 50 bucks. You put in all the details of your vessel and it gives you an ORC number. Um, uh, could you not do that? Like you just register the boat. Cool, you got whatever you've got. You, someone comes on board, make sure it's all safe as you should do. If you want to take the kitchen sink with you, do. If you want to be stripped out, great. And just let people sail in, a, and then go from there. You remember we had the regatta which was put on in memoriam of um bart simpson andrew simpson the uh, the the america's cup sailor who died and they had that big regatta when was that like 20 or oh, 2016 was that i think that was put on it was like happened all around the world like it wouldn't be too complicated to, to work it out and as long as you've got a minimum fleet of x and then you can just find out who's the best in your um in your yacht club and then you have provincials and nationals, and it could be put on by your national sailing body. And then we'd end up with like, Oh, you know, there's five people have chosen this boat or five teams have chosen this boat and five teams have chosen that boat. And, um, we've got a bit of idea now, like we have these GoPro cameras on board, but they could be swapped out for live transmission cameras. And like, you could start to like piece it together, but it seems hard to me. And I, I'm, it's just me, I'm you know, not an authority in any of this. It seems difficult to me to just start with a blank paper and then go, hey, why don't we create this event? Because there's so many unanswered questions with it. And um, I, I can see why the Olympic authority is having a bit of a hard time dealing with it. All Olympic authorities, you know, of course, are trying to keep the cost down. I was watching um, a YouTube thing the other day. Uh, I can't remember what it was now. was it? It was about the Olympics. And it was talking about the fact that the Athens... Olympics was you know a very very expensive and looking at the fact that then unfortunately the uh, Greek economy tanked um, And and suddenly that 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 last thing they'd done the Athens Olympics looked like wow What a waste of money now as it was the cost of doing that Olympics per event Was nothing compared to the money that was put it. I can't remember. it It was like it was like one or two million per event was like how much it cost to put on that olympics and then you look at like london 2012 it was like 20 million to put on uh each event at the, at the 2020 olympics i think a lot of these uh countries now are very aware that they just cannot spend huge amounts of money on doing these events so i don't think the french economy is at a particular point right now where they're like yeah yeah you know, we're going to put on the um the fencing where we've got to have a place to do it which we already have and we've got to have officials which we've already got and we have to get people here great that'll happen anyway uh, and it's gonna cost us you know, a couple of million to put that on. And then they come over to the sailing thing and they've got to get all these boats bought for all these nations and have a boat yard and have all the spares and have all of the broadcasting. And you can see why they are bought to this. But I hope that they're able to find a way and they're asking for submissions. So we are sailors, never think that you you know, are less than anybody else in the sailing community. Your experience, your knowledge, your insight is unique to you, and it may be that someone listening is like, "Hey, I've got this really good idea." So, I, I do have a direct connection to somebody who's on the uh, the the well, within the committee group that's uh, sorting all this lot out. So, if you've got some amazing idea, send it to me. Um, okay, what's next on my uh, list here? Right, the yeah, the Ocean Globe Race. So, um, as you know, we're doing the Ocean Globe Race in twenty twenty three. Uh, we're going to be at the moment we've opened up the uh opportunity to sail on the boat on challenger um just to kind of go over that i haven't been doing much about it because again i've been really worrying about what's happening in 2021 but we've got to start looking forward Uh, the deal at the moment we've got three round the worlders already signed up for this event we have uh, stefan javier and mans hello to them if you're listening guys um and hello specifically to stefan who has been dealing with covid recently he's had the b117 variant and was feeling very low with it so i hope he's uh, come out the other side of that um they are all getting excited about uh what's going to be happening in 2023 we've got the training going on basically what's going to happen is every year there'll be two weeks of training which is included in the price There is a big bundle of stuff from Helly Hansen and a life jacket from team O. If you're going all the way around the world, you'll get two sets of gear from Helly Hansen and two life jackets from team O. The idea being that you've got one that you can use during the training, which, you know, is going to be over two and a half years. And you've got another whole set for going around the world. If you're going to join us for just one leg and the race is divided into five legs, then uh, you'll still get the Helly Hansen set and you still get the life jacket. um, But you're just going to get the one that you're going to use on the event. Um, The... Pricing for it, it is 63,000 euros, which is about, last time I looked, it's about 76,000 US or about 55,000 pounds. That sounds a lot, uh, but it was picked as a number, which is exactly what Challenger, sorry, Challenger, it is exactly what Clipper is asking for their round the world event. Remember, I was a Clipper skipper. I have a lot of respect for what Clipper Ventures has put together over the years, and um, that is the market value for doing this stuff within that, that gives us enough money to be able to completely refit the boats. This is not going to be um, tired old boats doing around the world events. As you know, Challenger has already got a brand new keel, new keel bolts. She's just been ultrasounded and is A1 through and through. Uh, we're having work done on her at the moment in Spain, which hopefully we'll be able to go and pick her up once the borders open there as well. Um, she's going to be completely refitted with new rigging, new ropes, all new safety gear. She'll be basically as close as you can get a brand new Brand new boat um, the inclusion of a brand new keel on her is um something i'm very excited about that's already happened of course um, she's she's going to be a one and we're going to make sure safety is right at the top of what's going on she is going to be a very competitive boat to be on but i wanted to uh share with people a lot been people have been asking me we are going to be dividing that up so we're dividing it up by simply taking that total amount that it costs to go around the world and dividing it by five so that there is no uh, hierarchy to this i know working with clipper that people end up sitting together on the decks chatting to each other and everyone's like got a different price for what they paid and it all feels a bit Oh, you paid for this and i had to do the training i had to fly from here it's all the same for everybody and we have an idea at the moment that we'll be training here in nova scotia and we'll be training on the south coast of the uk we may open up another location if, if we start to get people from a different geographic region who particularly want to be you know helped out if there's loads of people from mediterranean region then we can go into the mediterranean and train there but we'll kind of come to you which would be good um and then the 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 chances there to be engaged in a competitive round the world event and don mcintyre that's putting this on obviously did the golden globe race uh, this started out with trying to recreate the the whip bread the kind of classic days of offshore racing the stuff that we grew up with um, and I, so far what I can see are doing an excellent, excellent job with it. What they did is they kind of expanded their philosophy out to include the boats that were involved, um, in the 1993 and 1997 races, which challenger is won. Oh, and the 2001 race. And they're the Volvo sixties and Whitbread sixties, uh, and the, and the maxis. And, uh, the idea is that they will be competitive and they won't be kind of limited by any of the philosophical things which are happening in some of the other classes. Some of the other classes are going to race like, with no modern gear beyond Mon safety gear with no Mon video and they're gonna like really take it back to what it was to be racing in this thing in the early uh, 80s um, which I love that but it's it's not kind of where we're at I want to be uh, doing this as a competitive thing so there'll be full training we are now working with a, um, a fitness uh, coach to create a, um, a training regimen we're going to be starting to do the uh, online, forums each week for us to come and chat um i'm now putting another website together which i am writing this time nice and easy which is it's going to be called csm the mariner the podcast is going to be there the blogs are going to be there the um long-awaited uh, seamanship training courses are going to be there and it's going to be an opportunity of t- to come together in one place and um discuss all this stuff so some exciting things happening there now does longer fit into this she does fit into this i talked to the um to the uh race organizers and they said that, you know, Longabarda did not race in the Whitbread race or in the Volvo race. And that was one of the main stipulations. It has to be a boat that competed in any of the races up to twenty, uh, up to the year 2000. Um, longabada didn't, but they said, as long as there's no chance of her winning, then we don't mind her being in the race. So what we thought was, well, let's put on longabada as a, um, a different option that you can go on board this boat. It's got cabins, it's very nice. We can race along um kind of behind behind the fleet so to speak take things a little bit more cruisy but at 80 foot she's long enough that she's going to keep up with everything else but there is no chance of her winning against the boats in her class um so we'll know what the result's going to be but the opportunity will be there and go and go and race around the world and enjoy it without having all the stress so she's going to be in it as well the development in all this is that i've now been approached by some chaps who want to get uh veterans onto the boats doing the race and the proposal at the moment is that uh it's going to be two boats racing at the moment the guys that i've been uh, working with are u.s based so this would be u.s veterans um i already knew quite a lot of the story about what happens to veterans after they have been you know let go from the military demobbed and uh for a lot of people it's it's a very very hard road after the military being in the military you know i had my little experience i was a lunch pack warrior uh with uh, the royal naval reserve uh so I, I got a little glimpse of what it's like to be in that world but from what i saw and from what i know obviously and being educated by the the people I'm now in contact with um moving from that that world of, of everything being you know very kind of get up and go move now very structured i think is the thing when people leave that that sense of structure goes out their life and they've been they've been focused towards that for so many years that just at that level cv street can be very very difficult if you then put on top of that that a lot of vets are leaving having done active service in afghanistan or in iraq or wherever forces are deployed and may or may not be injured physically injured mentally injured um they are coming out with suddenly they've got no support system that they're used to decades potentially spent in the military um and and now there's nobody kind of like focusing them in any particular direction um they may or may not be dealing with physical injuries they may or may not be dealing with things like ptsd um and with just the after effects of things that they've had to go through uh in in their job their job which they you know people that step up to go into the military there are there are a couple of people that go in the military for the wrong ideas and the wrong reasons. I think they're very quickly rooted out. I think that by the end of basic training, you've got people who at the most fundamental level really want to do something positive for their nation, for other people. They want to reach out with some element of their life and do something that protects and, and helps others. And whether you believe in the nature of the military or not, it does exist. There are uh, external and internal threats to the security of the countries that we live in. And the personnel that are involved in that action are some of the best people that we have in our community. Um, And then when they finish in that, they are somewhat adrift. And, um, you know, maybe that's the best metaphor. They are adrift. So the idea is to get them back in the boat and back on our boats and, uh, and take them sailing. Now, many of them will not have known sailing before but i think if you've been on these kind of boats if you sailed with me um we enjoy what we're doing we're not me shouting and yelling and screaming at each other i'd have no care in the world if you are disabled or not if you are willing to step onto the boat or roll yourself onto the boat or climb onto the boat as long as you can get yourself on there and you're willing to tough it out and do what needs to be done and be part of the crew and be a backstop for anybody and everything then you can come whatever the issue is. As long as, at the end of the day, as long as we're observing international safety protocols and we get smart and sensible ourselves about how people move around the boat and how things are done, we can do it any old way that we wanna do it. So the guys are asking me like, what happens if the vets have, you know, missing a leg or missing an arm or something like, no problem at all. If they're okay to be here, if they fall off the toilet and they need help to get back on it and they're not gonna like, you know, be all sore and sorry because someone saw their bum, um, I I don't care about it either. I want people to to get out there and to experience what I get from sailing which is that I know like what is it that that deep-seated feeling of being involved in not only a machine making its way towards somewhere but also a project moving towards somewhere a group of people moving towards somewhere um, and and it being a very positive experience a hard experience but a positive experience and within that um, sail training has been categorically shown by you know i can send you the links for the for the phds that have been done on it the transform transformative changes that can be done um in people's lives through something like sailing to re-establish feelings of um self-confidence and uh, communication and leadership and uh, and you know personal value that's what it's about like you're on the team everyone's equal here everyone's got different skills but even you know whatever your disability may be you may be differently abled i got schooled by this years ago by um a chap who came sailing and he had uh, he had no legs and forgive me if i talk about this a bit bluntly but i've been around people with disabilities and it's like that's how it is The guy had no legs and i said to him you're going to be okay he said what do you do when it gets really really rough i said well clip on he said what else you do i said well you know stay low and move around and get down close to the deck he's like well i'm already here like, oh yeah, good point. He's like, I'm already safe. I'm down here and I'm also an expert in how this lot works. So differently abled is something that is uh, very, very pertinent to, to, to sailing on boats. And uh, when you've got a group of people who, are, who have demonstrated that they are completely willing to make sacrifices in their lives to, to, for the betterment of their community, I can think of no better way of doing it than getting involved in a big project like Sailing Around the World. And, um, and making it happen. So that's what I wanna do. We're gonna be, well, we're just putting the proposal together now. Um, and then I'll be absolutely honest. We wanna find a benefactor who wants to lay down the money, it's gonna cost a million bucks per boat to go and do this. Why? Because we're gonna use maxis. We're gonna use the bigger boats than Challenger, ones like Longabada that haven't been transferred into being a different kind of boat. We need to buy one or buy two. We need to completely refit them. We need to have excellent crew on board. We maybe need to alter some of the things inside the boat so that it is good for people to be able to move around if they're differently abled. and uh and we want to get training and doing this and the great thing that the guys i'm talking to about are saying there is a huge community of people within the veterans world who are willing to come fix the boat work on the boat just be involved and the property that we have here in nova scotia um is perfect for that so i am very very excited about that and at the moment the the working title for the charity is the spartan foundation um it's going to be active in the us and canada and personally what i want to see is i want to see an american boat and i want to see a a canadian boat there is no upper limit really to how many uh, boats that we can we can lay on for this uh, we've got some amazing skippers which i've made contact with on this uh, uh subject and um are ready to step up and, uh, and and lead these teams um i'm excited about it i think that anybody that's into sailing and has half a brain uh, can see the benefits of this stuff. Um, we need to find a company or an individual who's willing to put the money out for uh, for this to happen. There's there's no two ways about it. Um, so I'm gonna be making that proposal available very soon. If you know somebody who's in that kind of um, situation where it's beneficial to them, if it's something that they want to do, if it's something that's close to their heart, whatever it is, I don't really care. When it gets to the point of like asking for money and it's a really good uh, a thing, I have no issue with that. I'm gonna go and do this around the world thing in... Um, in november on behalf of nova scotia and nova scotia is not paying for it and i don't expect them to we have a new sponsor which i'm going to be announcing in the next couple of weeks very exciting sponsor i'm really really happy to be working with them um but when it comes to um you know we're going to be able to basically put and let me get this right we're able to change out 70 percent of the crew on each each um leg of the race um so there's gonna be a core of people that like really know how to run the boat. There's up to, uh, 20 people on the boat and we can change out 70. So we're talking like 15, 16 people can change over and there are five legs. So you do the math. We've got like 75 people plus the core. We've got 80 people on each boat. Now they're just going to be paying exit. Well, the the person that is paying for this is going to be paying the same as we pay for, um, for anybody else that comes and does does this so it's absolutely at market value and i said that to the charity at the very beginning like this has to be done at market value so that we can do it this year we can do it next year we do it the year after and this has got legs there's no point going oh yeah we'll do it for nothing and then we lay it on once and then that's it it was a flash in the pan so economically it makes sense and in terms of developing the options for these incredible uh, men and women um as they go forward uh i i don't think there's anything better than that so um, yeah, I'm I'm totally unabashed. Like, if you're in a situation where that makes sense for your business or for you personally, you want to make that happen. Let's make it happen. It's it's twelve and a half thousand uh, bucks U.S. for each person on each leg, including all the training and the kit and everything else. Um, do you think what that could do to someone's life? That is is going to be unbelievable. And uh, I am very very proud and very uh, very. Moved by the fact that I was I was asked to uh, to to be involved in this. So if anybody's got any clever ideas with that, uh, we need to we need to make that happen like right now. There's no messing around. It's 2023. We can't all sit on our hands like, well, yeah, it's a good idea. We'll think about it. Action uh, needs to happen on this front. But um, my God, with a uh, a crew and oh, I'd like the other thing I'd like to point out here. It's not just um, veterans. I have to be very careful of that they also want to extend it out to first responders. The ambulance crews, the fire crews, the police, there are so many people in our community who are engaged in lives of service. And uh, if it's beneficial to any people from those walks of life, then they are also, of course, welcome on board. It should make just as much sense to them as it will do to the to the military personnel. So, yeah, if you've got a way of helping with that, then um, you need to send me an email right now good okay what else are we going on here well my page is again a little bit uh, thin here um <laughs> what's coming up next this week on the mariner i've already edited the next edition of the uh slocum story i get lots of people writing to me and thanking me for doing that it's a fantastic book and i've got to say uh rereading it and going through it again i understand the man so much more uh, than I did before and his voyage so much more um, it, it really has been very special to, to do that and I'm, I'm already thinking about what's the next book that we're going to be doing I was sent a book by Scott Booth hey Scott um, and I need to dig that out it's on my bookshelf and find out what that's all about there's been a few suggestions of, of books that we might read I want something that's uplifting I want something that's positive and it needs to be something that's in the public forum so that i can read it without getting into all sorts of copyright issues um yeah if anybody's got any more suggestions for that we're already the next bit is chapter 11 and 12 so we're we're two-thirds of the way through the book and he at the moment if you haven't been listening he's um where is he oh he's been to juan fernandez and now he's in samoa and so um that's been awesome reading that there's more of those coming the next one is going to be after this is going to be questions and tangents your questions so uh i have an email from rob cochran i have an email from greg tufon i have an email from blake assling i have the comments from the land crab and i have kev Oh, Jesus Kev come on he said last time I said his surname he wrote to me and said Oh, that's pretty close Kev Le Poivre Dien Le Poivre Le Poivre Le Kev you got to write back and you've got to explain it to me as you would explain to a child and then we'll get on this I'm having fun with it please don't be offended you know I what am I talking about my my name is Christopher Ian Stanmore Major like I can take the piss out of anybody's name um Poivre Dien it must mean something I wonder what it means it means regular writer. In... <laughs> He's always writing to me, and it's awesome. Um, so, I'll be reading some of those out and answering those questions. If you have any other questions and you hear this one, send me your question now, and I will uh, get on to that. Um, and then we'll be having a gear review, uh, which is the Helly Hansen A Gear Waterproofs. Uh, I'm now sponsored by Helly Hansen, which is awesome. So, I'll tell you right now, they sent me some free stuff it's good don't worry i do not like landslide into heli hansen's lap i was actually a, a sponsored by slam in the past and i love their stuff but i have to say henry lloyd's stuff was amazing i can't believe that company went bust but um uh, heli hansen's gear is good i have got a few bits of feedback for them so it will not be an i don't really know how to give a biased no one's ever given me something so awesome that i'd be like that biased <laughs> although you know there's a the challenge but um yeah, no, it's, there's, there's good bits and, and bad bits about it. But what I'll do is I'm going to start that um, one off by um, looking at the history of waterproofs, which is pretty interesting, um, and where it all kind of came from and some of the materials that are involved and where things are going and what's available. So that'll be next. So questions and tangents, more Slocum and the Heli uh, gear review. I was also thinking if we wanted to do, like I'm not going to go to any of the Caribbean uh, events this year. Like I'm, I'm not leaving Nova Scotia. Um, and, and that is because there is no need for me to do. There's, you know, someone could pay me to go and race a boat or something, but I've got to say like, uh, I'm just going to stay where I am and focus on my own thing for now. That's uh, much more important to me. Um, so I was thinking about doing reviews of events because I, you know, I've been, I wrote it all out the other day. Like I've been a lot of events all around the world and uh, I can maybe give you a kind of idea of what they're about and what happens and how it goes down a lot of people have never gone and done like a big regatta overseas and don't really know how how it works out what's the place like what's the organizing committee like what's the 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 course like maybe that's some interest the other thing i thought is i could um look at particular boats through history like god that will keep me going forever right there are some amazing boats um that you may or may not know about like i mentioned this in the one about um uh, B is for boating, like the Cutty Sark. Why is the Cutty Sark such a big deal? It's actually for very important reasons. Um, but there are other boats like Diarchy, one of the most advanced gaff rig boats there ever was. The boat that I skippered, Mary made the first boat ever to put a Marconi rig up. Write to me, tell me, what famous vessels from history are there? And can we go through what there are? What famous sailors are there from history? Like that's another thing that might be of uh, of some interest. Who are these sailing heroes that we have and we could deep dive and have a look at uh, what they did and why they're important to our industry so and, and to our to our sport should I say so um yeah some ideas there um I am full of energy as you can tell and ready to do more of these. I took nearly two months off there and was missing it all the way through. Um, that that period now is is over and I've got lots of time to focus on this and uh yeah happy to, to re-engage and to as always give you whatever I know uh and uh, a load of tangents alongside it. So that's the end of this one. Uh, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope you are safe and sound. For some of you who started uh, listening later on, you'll wonder why I say that at the end of all of these. Um, at the end of my logbook, at the end of every voyage I do, it says, uh, crew safe, vessel sound. And then I write my name and I underline it and I wait on every voyage to be able to write that phrase at the end of it. That the crew is safe and the vessel is sound. So when I wish you that you are safe and sound i mean that i hope that you and the people that are around you are safe and well and in the best spirits they can be in and that whatever you're doing in your life your your hull of your life your family your business your work that hull is being kept sound through these difficult times we're in the kind of i remember someone saying to me at the beginning of all this this was not going to be like the um the the covid storm this was like entering the, the 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 southern covid ocean this is that's what we're going through right now and uh it's it's got a little bit more to go. Um, if you look historically at what happened in nineteen eighteen with the Spanish flu, we are pretty much following that. It has different characteristics. Um, these different waves of it, the way that it's uh, adjusting and changing in the modern world is a little bit different. But um, there's it's it's got a life yet to go, and we have to make our way through that as well. And we cannot. People say to me, "How can you do all these days at sea, all of this uh, stuff uh, out on the ocean?" It's because I don't go out and just kind of exist at sea i live at sea and that's the thing with covid We can't just kind of exist from day to day hoping it's going to go back to normal normal now is gone that was uh, actually what it was it was a rarefied state that we used to live in we just didn't know it at the time and now we're in a new situation and we have to deal with this we have to live in this and not just exist in it um we are at sea trying to keep everything safe and sound as we go along so um it's it's with a lot of uh heart that i say to you i hope that whatever you're doing um, everything is holding itself together and you are finding a good course through it all. So until the next one, I shall, uh, I shall leave you to your dog walk or your fishing or your skiing or whatever it is that people tell me that they're off doing. I got someone who said, um, what was it? And what was he doing? involved in some kind of sport and he said your podcasts that are like two hours long they're too long <laughs> i have to like do it over two separate sessions doing this sport so i'm sorry if i'm <laughs> talking too much you must hate the interviews then because they're like three hours but um the dog walkers dogs are like nearly all their legs are like worn off by now and the uh the people out cleaning the yard are thoroughly sick of it so get yourself a cup of tea sit down have a think about how we can have an olympic event without being super expensive uh, try and help me work out a way to get these uh, veterans to see doing this Ocean Globe race. And if you want to become uh, involved in a crackpot plan to buy a uh, maxi and uh, have your money paid back in lots of sailing on that boat, um, drop me a line. Good. I'll speak to you in the next one. Cheers.